holiness. He is greatness. He is limitlessness. We've been studying the names of God. And specifically, the Lord had told me to dwell on the names of grandeur and majesty. Because when we commit ourselves into the hands of the all-majestic, the limitless, the perfectly loving God, we take hold of his glory in our own lives. Is there anything that our God cannot do? Is there any pit deeper than what he can reach us in? No. Is there any healing that he cannot accomplish? No. So today we're going to look at four or five more names. Four or five more names focusing on his majesty and his grandeur. Thank you. The first one is Hode. H-O-D-E. Hode. And it means majesty. We're going to go to Job 37, verse 22. Out of the north he comes in golden splendor. This is your God. This is your God. God comes in awesome majesty. The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness, he does not oppress. It is never your father to bring oppression of any kind. He is good and good only. He is for you and for you only. He is never against you. There is nothing that you could ever do that would cause him to turn his back on you. So I want to read this verse in the ESV. I read it in the NIV. I'm going to read it in the ESV. Out of the north comes golden splendor. God is clothed with awesome majesty. The almighty, we cannot find him. He is great in power, justice, and abundant righteousness. He will not violate. He will always bring justice into your situation. In verse 22, it says, the, the term hode for God, H-O-D-E, in Strong's, it defines it as splendor, majesty, <coughs> vigor. That's vigor on your behalf. Divine splendor, majesty, light, and glory, which God wears as a king. Think about that. That is the one that you have who has fought for you. Job 37 in 22, it uses the word awesome. That is the, the, the word Yah-Reh, Y-A-R-E. And it means to fear, to have awe-inspiring majesty upon God. Awe-inspiring 
majesty that is upon our God. So I want to explain to you here in verse 23 where it says, beyond our reach. Okay? That's going to cause a lot of our brains to go tilt. But beyond our reach there does not mean that you cannot find him. It does not mean that you do not have fellowship with him. Because Jesus, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, right? Jesus tore the veil, and you have been brought into fellowship with your Father. Okay? So that's not what that term means. It does not mean that you cannot fellowship with him. It does not mean that you are not connected to him. It is from the, the word matzah, M-A-T-S-A, which means to attain to, to find, to find out thoroughly, thoroughly to explore. So a better understanding of this, I believe, is given to us in another verse, which is Job 11, verse 7. I'm going to read it in several translations. First, the NIV. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? In other words, can we understand his true limitlessness? The Aramaic is so beautiful in this one. It says, can you know the declaration of God? Or can you, listen to this, listen to this. Can you stand at the uttermost limit of the Almighty? No, because you will never find his limit. You will never find his limit on behalf of you. You will never find his limit, period. You will never find a limitless heart on behalf of you. A limited heart, excuse me, on behalf of you. You cannot go to the uttermost boundary of God because he has none. Okay? In the BSB, can you fathom the deep things of God or discover the limits of the Almighty? The answer to that is no. You will never discover the limit of his mightiness, his goodness, his power, his loving kindness toward you. Never. So when the scripture says there, beyond our reach, it is describing a God who is greater and mightier and more awesome, more amazing, more vast than we currently are seeing. Right? And all we have to do is draw near, and we will see more and more and more of his beauty on our behalf. So this tells me, see, we have a God who is limitless, in majesty. He is clothed in splendor. He is clothed in glory. And yet, with all his power, with all his splendor, with all his majesty, he will never offend. He will never offend. He is here to bring goodness into your life, justice and mercy. You understand that? 
Have we ever known such a love as that? <laughs> so this tells me, when, I, when this is the God, this is why we're looking at God in, at, according to his names. This tells me that I have a God who is bigger than any and all circumstances or concerns or problems or issues in my life. That's who you have with you every day, leading you, guiding you. And this assures me because I understand then that he thinks bigger and better than I do. That should make every one of us in this room feel great. He thinks bigger and better than you do. So if I'm in, a, in the midst of a trial, I have a God who's bigger and better than that trial, no matter what the trial is. His answers will always be overcoming. They were always being victory. He is more awesome than any, his answers will be more awesome than any of my human solutions. And he gives me all the answers right here. If you have an issue, find the scripture. Right? So, just think about it, just think about this. If we were standing, if you were standing in the throne room of God, standing in the very presence, in the throne room of God, we would be totally enthralled by his majesty. You probably couldn't, you couldn't even stand. You would fall face down on the floor. And all you could do was worship him because of his beauty and splendor and majesty. That's all you could do. Just think about that. Just stop and think about his beauty. And yet he loves you with a love that is incomprehensible. And we wouldn't be worshiping him because of all the things he's done for us. We're just worshiping him because of who he is. Because of who he is. And we could do nothing but stand in awe of his greatness and his glory. The glory of God in the throne room of heaven, the glory of God would be so incredibly magnificent that we could just worship and worship and worship and worship and worship and we would never tire of giving glory to our king. Hallelujah. And sometimes I think we just need to stand back and realize this is who has us in the palm of his hand. This is who is leading us and guiding us in our lives. Wow. Wow. That comforts me to know that that's the God who has me in his hand. That brings me peace. That brings me comfort. He has chosen you. He has chosen you. And that's really enough. Everything else pales in comparison to that. Okay. We just need to see the big picture, beloved. The next name for God is El. Okay, I know I don't pronounce all these properly, but it's S-H-A-M-A-Y-I-M. 
Shama Yim. That's, that's my attempt. <laughs> that's my attempt. <laughs> and it means God of heaven. Psalm 136, 26 in the NIV. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. So in Strong's, this term means heaven, sky, the abode of God. The abode of God. And the Hebrews, they would use this term heaven in three different ways. And this is an all-inclusive name, okay? So they'd use it in three different ways. They would use it to refer to Earth's atmosphere, okay, which is what we see from, you know, our planet, right? We, the atmosphere of Earth, you know, we all know an atmosphere surrounds the Earth. Then it would include the space beyond that atmosphere. That would be where the stars and the solar system, you know, all that stuff, that area. Then the third would be what we call the third heaven, and that would be what they considered the abode of God, the dwelling place of God. Now, we know that when we're born of Jesus Christ, we know that he's within us, right? That Jesus is within us. And God, we also know that God is omnipresent, present, but this was something to refer to where he lived. So, when they used this title, they were acknowledging the presence of God and dominion over everything. That's what that was acknowledging. The world you see, the world you can't see. Every spiritual realm. So it was the, the in other words, he was enthroned above all else. That brings me comfort in my life. To know that I have a God who is enthroned above all else. There's, there's no darkness that can even approach him. You see that? And so if you have him, what does that mean in your own life? What does it mean in your own life? It means the same thing, doesn't it? Right? Okay. So he's enthroned above everything else, and he rules with perfect love toward you, toward me. The earth is his footstool, right? The earth is his footstool, and yet he has chosen to bring you out of the miry clay. He has chosen to bring you out. You depend on him, right? So he brings you up out of the muck and the mire, and not only that, where does he seat you? He seats you in heavenly places. You are seated, if you are in Christ, you are seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. Don't you think that's a pretty amazing God that is so giving, so sharing, has no form of, of worldly jealousy, let me put it that way, because he is jealous for you. But in terms of worldly jealousy, that he just wants to share everything about him with you. He wants you to have it all. Golly. <laughs> what an amazing God we serve. The God of heaven, the God of everything. 
He has chosen to seat you with Jesus in heavenly places. This is the one who loves you. This is the one who cares for you every day. Hallelujah. Okay. The next name is Basilius, Basilius, Basilion, Kyrios, Kyrion. And respectively, those terms mean King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16 is what we're going to read. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Your Jesus is faithful and true. With justice he judges and makes, a, makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Thank you for the blood, Lord. Thank you for the blood that washes us clean as snow. And his name is the Word of God. The Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who's for you. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. So in Strong's, Basilius means king, ruler, sovereign. It refers to Christ as the King of kings and the king over the kingdom of the heaven of God, it referred over the heavens, which is God, as the king, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has unqualified jurisdiction. Unqualified. Did I say unqualified? I said unqualified. Unqualified jurisdiction over all of creation. That's your God. That's your God. Hallelujah. It means kingship, sovereignty, authority, rule, the rule of God, both in the, in the world in, in a physical sense, but also in a spiritual sense, in the hearts of men. So a physical kingdom and a spiritual kingdom, right? All of it, inclusive. Then Lord of Lords, Kyrios, Kyrion, the meaning for that is master, 
master, a person exercising absolute ownership rights. Absolute ownership rights. You know what I just thought of that really means? When you have committed your way unto him, when you have committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you have received him as your Lord and Savior, absolute ownership rights means there, can no, no, there cannot be sickness continuing to reside in you because he has ownership rights over healing for you. He has ownership rights to provision for you in any form. So anyway, so this is he to whom a, her a person or thing belongs, about whom he has the power of deciding. Okay? Master, Lord, the possessor and disposer of the thing, the owner. How many of you in, okay, let's just look at, how many of you in your life have given him ownership rights? So you have just opened the door to all his provision. You have just opened the door to all his power. You have just opened the door to his divine nature. You have just opened the door to his wealth. You have just opened the door to his healing. You have just opened the door to the divine nature of God, to everything that he is. When you have given him ownership rights. You don't have to do that, you know. People don't have to do that. So, th that, I mean, this is totally exciting to me when I think about this because what that means is when I have given my life and I have given my heart to Jesus, God has ownership rights to me. He has ownership rights to me. There's no other place that I would want to be. And that means, on the converse, that the devil has no ownership rights to me. None. Zero. He's a failure. Zip. That's why I don't preach the devil and all the things that he can do. We preach God. We, we preach Jesus. We preach the kingdom. What did Jesus do? He preached the kingdom, and all the kingdom came. Right? Okay. So anyway, the devil has no rights to me whatsoever. He cannot own me. He is not my boss. He's not the boss of me. I am bossy when it comes to the devil. <laughs> he is not the boss of me. He will not have any influence over me. He will not shake me. He will not move me. I am not going to look at anything he has to show me, and I don't want to hear anything he has to say. And I really don't care how that makes him feel. <laughs> he has absolutely no rights to my life because I am owned by God. 
So my king, my king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, has final say in my life because I've given it to him. I've given it to him. I have given him permission to be my owner. You know, he allows each one of us to make our own decisions. Don't blame God for the junk that goes on. I, I really get, really, okay, I'm not even going to use that word because I'm never, I, I'll never confess that I'm sick. I'm never confess that I'm tired. But I'm, I'm pretty fed up with then why do bad things happen? You draw your own conclusions there. Bad things don't come from God. We can agree with God or we can disagree with God. It's really that simple. So, he allows us to make our own decisions about his entrance into our lives because he's not a hard taskmaster. He's not a dictator. He gave us the will to choose him or not choose him. Right? But here's the deal. And this is the sad part for people who don't choose him, is his word, regardless, is going to be the final say. You can argue all you want to with God here on the earth. You can argue all you want against Jesus here on the earth, and you know what? He's going to have the final say. And that's all there is to it. In the end, it's his way. So, jump on board. You know, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you won't ever have to worry about that. You won't ever have to worry about what that means, because at that point, all goodness comes into your life. His word is final authority, and as long as I agree with his word, who is Jesus, come in the flesh, I make him my Lord and King, my destiny is totally secure. Totally secure. So, he decrees, he defines my life and my outcome because I am allowing him to do that. Okay, the next and last name, Karen Yesha, Q-E-R-E-N. If y'all are ever doing Scrabble and you want to use that and you're using like proper names, and you don't have a U, <laughs> you can use that one because there's no U after the Q. So you can just give Q-E-R-E-N. Yesha. <laughs> Yesha. It's also Yasha, two spellings, Y-E and Y-A, S-H-A. And it means horn of my salvation. So, this, we're taken from 2 Samuel 22, verses 1 through 4. NIV. David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, 
and my Savior. From violent men you save me. I call to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. Wow. Think of all the names that we've been studying and how worthy is our God. Every single one of these words in this verse, salvation, Savior, saved, 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 are from Yasha or Yesha, and they mean deliverance, rescue, salvation, safety, welfare. Welfare. You think about, now just stop and think, stop and think about salvation. We all seem to really, when, when we're born again, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we all seem to really understand spiritual renewals, re, being recreated in the image of God. And we, we receive that spiritually, don't we? Yeah, well, what's the problem with the physical part? You see, it's the same. This means welfare. So when you think about salvation, it means your entire welfare. Mind, body, soul, spirit, right? Okay, it means everything about you. Salvation is all of it. It's a complete package. Okay, strongs. This means salvation primarily in this verse, primarily, now get this, primarily here it means physical rescue. So is healing a physical rescue? Yeah, it is. You see? It's all inclusive. Provision, is that a physical rescue? No lack, is that a physical rescue? Of course it is. Of course it is. So it's physical rescue by God, but it also has the spiritual connotation, Yahweh, my light and my salvation. Okay? So it's all of it. So horn of my salvation... It's referring here, and it says, from violent men you save me. I am saved from my enemies. All in this verse, you are my stronghold, you are my refuge, you are my savior. In other words, Yahweh delivers you. He delivers you. He is your deliverer. It means, and I, I love this uh, connotation, it means to be liberated to be saved, listen to this, listen to this, and get a hold of it. To be placed in freedom from external evils. That is a powerful, powerful thought. That means you get to be placed in freedom from every oppression, you receive it right now, every oppression, every depression, every emotional bad mood, every stronghold of um, emotional torment, every fear, you see that? To be completely liberated, and we can all have that right now. We actually all had it when we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Okay? So when you think of a horn, 
you think of, you know, for like from the animal kingdom, when you think of that, you think of power. You think of power which saves. You think of it, it's, it's both offensive. I mean, think, think of like a rhinoceros, okay? You know, they have that big horn. Well, have you ever seen videos of an actual lion trying to attack a rhinoceros? And he's got that big horn, and it's like, there's like no contest. You understand? So that rhinoceros is not going to be consumed. That horn is going to do its job. So it's both a defensive and an offensive weapon. It's both. It's all of it. You, you get that? It's defensive, it's, and it, it is a, the horn is, is a symbol of this victorious strength. Is God your victorious strength? Yes, he's your victorious strength. So, let's go to Psalm 18. I love this verse because it shows us what God does. I called, oh, I'm in verse 4. I'm starting Psalm 18. Am I getting better, I getting better at that for you guys? Psalm 18, verse 4. Psalm 18, verse 4. <laughs> I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been, have been, past tense, saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? Don't be ashamed of that. Just turn it over to God and know what, where he is and what he is for you. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. We're going to go down to verse 16. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. Beloved, he has taken hold of you. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. That's in your carnal strength. Not in your greater is he who is in me, God's strength. Okay? They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. He delights in you, beloved. He is your rescuer. And he has no, no enemy that can even compare. It pales in comparison. It pales. You, beloved, you, beloved, with your God, you are never, ever beyond the point of no rescue. No matter what the situation looks like, you will never be beyond the point of no rescue with your Lord. No situation is beyond your Father's cure because of his heart for lo of love for you and because of who, just who he is, because of his majesty, because of his grandeur, his love for you, his love for you, his desire for you to see all of his goodness 
all of his goodness in your life is so great that he will never leave you beyond the point of no return. His heart is so good toward us. His heart is so good toward you. When you call upon him, you are his, you are his child. As a believer in Christ, just think. Just think about the prodigal son. Think about that. God's arms never quit reaching. You see that? His heart never stopped loving. He beckons. That's the Father who is always beckoning, beckoning us into his very arms. You see that? You understand that? He is always there with perfect love, redemption, forgiveness in every situation. All we have to do is draw nigh unto him. So, this is the loving father that we, this is our loving father. The God of all majesty, the limitless God, the almighty God, the God of all goodness, the God of all splendor. This is who we have as our very own father. So, that's what the Lord had me say today. We're going to take communion. We're going to accept our offerings and our tithes. And we are going to honor three of our seniors who are graduating from high school and heading on to their respective places of school.